Well, complete these common American phrases with me. If it sounds too good to be true, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no gain without pain. Some of you never been to the gym, all right. God helps those who help themselves. Now, everything about the American way of life teaches that you get what you earn in life. You get what you pay for. So in our American culture, we value work, sweat, effort, and performance. It's the American work ethic, and by the way, it's a good one. However, the problem is caused when you try to relate to God on the basis of the American work ethic. God does not relate to a human being on the basis of your performance. God does not have a clipboard, and He's not checking it like Santa to see if you've been naughty or nice. I'm going to explain the fact He is grace and what that means. The Bible says God relates to us on the basis of grace as a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. It is a gift of God. The Bible teaches everything in your life and mine is a gift. You wouldn't have the effort to work. You wouldn't have the brains to work. You wouldn't have the energy to work if God hadn't given it to you. Every breath you take is a gift from God. So the Bible makes it clear that God saves us by His grace. God blesses us by His grace. God teaches us by grace. God uses us by grace. And God takes us to heaven by grace. Everything in my life and yours that's good is a gift from God. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out such kindness and grace on me. In John 1, verse 16, from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. So in life, you need power to live on. You need people to live with. You were made for relationships. You need principles to live by. You need a plan to live out. And you need a purpose to live for. So you don't earn power to live on. God says He gives it to us. You don't earn the right people to live with. God gives them as a gift too. You don't deserve a plan or purpose to live out. It's a gift of God's grace. So this morning, I want us to look at grace, because a lot of people think they know what grace is. And the last person you want to talk to is a religious person about grace, because they know the name, but they don't really have a clue. Uh, people will say, well, it's just God's gift to me. Well, I know, Rick, I don't work my way to heaven. It's a gift. And yet those same people who can parrot those phrases don't live like that and don't act like that. In fact, they continually think God disapproves them. And even though they say they are not saved by their own effort, they are constantly trying with effort to please God. He becomes like a parent you can't please, and you live with a constant sense of guilt or condemnation. And that's why they don't get to know God, because they think He's always mad at them. No one definition can describe grace correctly, so here's a short list. Grace is God's love in action. Grace is when God gives me what I need, but not what I deserve. Grace is anything I desperately need I don't deserve that I could never repay, but God gives it to me anyway. 
Grace is the face God puts on when He looks at my failure, my fault, and my mistakes. So let me use the word grace in the five letters, G-R-A-C-E, as acronyms, and I want to talk to you about what grace is. Number one, the G in grace is God's gift to me. It is a total gift of God. You are not part of this. Ask ten people how to get to heaven on the street. You'll get the same answer in some form or the other. Just work real hard. Do your best. Be sincere. Try to be nice to people. Try to do good. Make certain you do more good works than bad. God will say, you're sincere. You're good. Come on in. Most people believe they'll go to heaven by being a pretty good person. But here's the problem. There's not a snowball's chance in hell you can go to heaven on your own effort because you can't be perfect. That's it. I quit batting a thousand a long time ago. How about you? I don't see any halos in here. Nobody's glowing in the dark. No, we've all come short. God says the only way you get to heaven is by His grace. It is a gift of God. You can never earn it. You could never buy it. You could never deserve it. It requires a perfect, sinless life. So you and I can't be good enough. We stopped that a long time ago. The Bible says all, A-L-L, all have sinned and come short. Well, Rick, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, maybe not, but you've come short. If I took you to the morgue and I showed you a guy dead three days, another guy three weeks, and another guy three minutes, they all have in common one thing. They're dead. So when you sin, you're a sinner. It's not about how many or how much. So all of us have to have someone do something for us to give us eternal life. It's a gift to me. Romans 11, verse 6. If it is by grace, it is no longer, it is no longer, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So it is a gift to me. The fundamental difference between Christianity and every other faith or religion, you could summarize in two words, do or done. Every other religion or faith outside of Christianity says it's do. But Christianity is summarized because of Jesus' work on the cross, done. He told the Father on the cross, it is finished. It is paid for. The debt has been paid by another who qualified. And so some of these other religions have so many different ways they think you can enter into heaven. The Bible teaches just the opposite. So the way we know God, the way we get our sins forgiven and get accepted into heaven is by accepting what has already been done for me by Jesus Christ. It's simple. He paid my debt. He offers salvation as a free gift of His grace. So what's my part, Rick? Well, it's simple. You either receive it or you reject it. You accept what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, that's called grace. If you have to pay something for it, it's a purchase. It is not a gift. Many of you know uh, last year or so I was given a sports car. Uh, I could never afford it. I couldn't buy it. It's not in my pay grade, but I can drive the wheels off of it. And I'll, t I'll tell you why. I'm enjoying something I didn't pay for. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I just said, yes. How many of you would say yes? Thank you. I said yes. 
to an expensive gift. And that's all you can do with Jesus. You can say yes, or you can say no. Romans 3, verse 24, all of us need to be made right with God. How? By His grace, which is a free gift through Jesus Christ. So the best gift you and I can ever be offered is salvation. You can win the lottery. You could be given a Rolls Royce. But the free gift of salvation goes on for eternity, and it's through Christ Jesus. Secondly, the R in grace means it is received by faith. Grace is received by faith. I don't earn it, don't work for it. I don't do a bunch of things to obtain God's grace. I receive it by faith. Here again, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through your faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can brag. See, if you could get to heaven by what you did, everybody in heaven would be bragging, and Jesus would have died for nothing. Why would Jesus go to the cross, live a sinless life, and die for you and me if you could get there any other way? See, you're not glorifying what Jesus did, you're glorifying yourself. Look what I did, look what I didn't do. Remember the Pharisees, oh Lord, we tithe, we haven't committed adultery, we, we keep this part of the law, we do this, we do that. And then the old extortioner, the, the publican, the tax collector, he just put his head down and he beat his breast and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus, looking at the two, said, that guy went home saved. And all the religious guys never got justified because they're still bragging about what they did. The old publican knew exactly what he could do, nothing. He needed mercy, he needed grace, and he got it when he asked for it. This is, this is something to review occasionally, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we can be saved. I call that a clear scripture. Peter says there's nobody else you can call on for salvation but Jesus. Now this one, all my Catholic friends, listen carefully. You're some of the best people in the world, but sometimes misinformed. Listen carefully. St. Paul, whom you revere and put in stained glass and put on your dash, listen, St. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and it's not St. Peter. And it's not Mary, and these are wonderful people that we esteem highly, but they're not mediators. They can't help me. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's clear Scripture. Just look at it. So how do I go to the Father? Through Jesus Christ. He's, I don't even have to go to a priest. I don't, have to, I don't have to get somebody with special clothes on. I have, as a Christian, I have direct access to the Father through Jesus, my high priest. And everybody can call on Him. Everybody. He, the call is free. There's no roaming charges. No data charges. It, you can COD. He's always on call 24-7. He's right there. So there's one mediator between God and man. How in the world we messed up Christianity so bad is beyond me, because man still wants to earn it or deserve it. So if you could qualify for heaven by any good work, Jesus died ridiculously in vain for nothing. So here's the point. For by grace have you been saved through faith. It's just a free gift. Romans 4, verse 16, 
It says, people receive God's promise by having faith. This happens so the promise can be a free gift. So salvation is not based on my performance. It's based on God's mercy. It's not based on my merit. It's based on God's mercy. It's not based on my goodness. It's based on God's grace. Now, the Bible gives us a lot of stories that illustrate God's grace. There's the Good Samaritan. He helps the guy that's been carjacked, robbed, and left beaten on the side of the road. The man is helpless. The man has been robbed. He has no money to pay. The Good Samaritan saves him, takes him to uh, Ritz Carlton, checks him in, pays the bill, gets him medical attention, says, when I come back, I'll pay anything else that he owes. So you and I, like this guy who had been beaten and robbed, have no way we can repay God for what he's done and for what Christ has done for us. This was mercy. This was grace. Then Jesus showed grace to a prostitute by forgiving her and then publicly defending her. What was he doing? Showing grace. The most famous, I guess, illustration is the prodigal son. A father has two boys, and the younger one says, Dad, I'm out of here. I want my half of the family inheritance. I'm leaving. So he takes his inheritance, moves to a foreign country, wastes his life on wine, women, and song, blows it. And in a few months, he's totally broke. He ends up as a Jewish boy working on a pig farm, totally hopeless. So he thinks to himself, I'm going to go back home and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I blew it. I'm totally wrong. I've wasted my inheritance. I do not deserve to be called your son. Just give me a job as a hired slave. They eat better than I do. But the father, who's a type of God the Father, was moved with great compassion. He ran to meet his son, and he looked at him and said, I told you so. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He hugs him. He kisses him, and he celebrates. He says, go get the best robe in the house and put it on my son. He doesn't say, go clean up your act, pay me first what you owe. He didn't lecture him and then say, now get everything and get your life in shape, then I'll talk to you. He unconditionally hugs this nasty kid and says, kill the fatted calf. My son was lost, now he's found. And the father puts the signet ring on his finger, which was like your American Express credit card. That's how God responds to you when you come to him. You never run from God when you're in trouble, you run to him because He wants to help you. The Bible even says in Luke 15, the angels in heaven rejoice over one soul that repents. They don't rejoice over new television stations you're on or how many books you sold. It says they throw a party in heaven when one person accepts Jesus Christ and His grace. We ought to be the best party people in the whole world, folks, not party poopers. I mean, this is, if the angels can throw a party, we ought to be able to do that. That ought to be the kind of church that we are, people who have received grace of God and who have received His forgiveness and mercy. We've got more reason to celebrate than anybody in the world. All of our past sins have been forgiven. We have a purpose for living right now. We have an eternal home in heaven. And once you get those three big issues resolved, everything else is minor by comparison. You know, if you haven't accepted the grace of God, you've got some serious issues to deal with. You feel guilty about the past pressured about the present, you're worried about the future, and you wonder why you're not happy or satisfied. But when those issues are settled by the grace of God, Christians above all people ought to know how to celebrate. It's God's gift, and it's received by faith. Number three, the A in grace. It's available to everyone. What does that mean? 
It means God doesn't play favorites. Regardless of your status, your background, your race, or your gender, or the sins you've committed, God loves each of us unconditionally. And God's grace is available to you. That was really hard for some of these early apostles to get. St. Peter was a bigot, a redneck fisherman, cussing, and a racist. And he wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles. He wouldn't go in a home, wouldn't speak to one. And he got in a lot of trouble with the Apostle Paul who says, you don't get it. What God has cleansed, don't you ever call unclean. And so God had to, it took three times of being rebuked by another apostle for Peter to finally get it. I could see Peter, you know, he's got a four by four pickup with a gun rack in the back, some Budweiser cans in the floor. I could just see him listening to blue collar comedy or, or something. He, he's always saying the wrong thing. He's very passionate, zealous, but he's always wrong. Some of you need to take him off your dash. Put your mother-in-law up there or something. That's about as good as you're going to get. And so, he's, God's showing these guys, hey, my, my grace is sufficient for everybody, and I don't care if they got in early or late. He uses the illustration where these different young men come to the, the owner, and he says, uh, if you'll work for me today, I'll give you a penny. The guy says, sure, good. And then he comes to the next guy, steps up later, a few hours later, says, if you'll work for me, go work in my field, I'll give you a penny. And the guy says, okay. He goes. Then the, finally, at the end of the day, another guy shows up, and he says, look, if you'll work for me till the close of the day, I'll give you a penny. And the first guy that had been working all day said, that's not fair. They got what I got, and I've been working longer. Well, welcome to the church. A lot of folks think they've been saved longer, and that when somebody comes in late or last, in a bad shape, and God gives them grace and mercy, elevates them with promotion and uses them, they think it's not fair because they've been so good, so righteous, you see, they don't understand grace. So grace, is, grace flows to all of us all the time, and He doesn't discriminate. You take the average church in San Antonio, Texas, or anywhere, and you can pretty much, not always, but you can pretty much identify them by race, denomination, or a political view. They are not gathered around the name of Jesus, though they use Jesus, but there's still political affiliation or racial affiliation. We're still segregated, we're still divided, because we make it about other issues than Jesus, and as a result, we mess up Christianity. Christianity is not a political view. It will affect your view, but it's not a political view. It's the fact somebody died in your sorry old place so you could have eternal life. That's the good news. So, I, somebody was telling me yesterday, one of our elders was in another church and said they had pictures of 40 elders. Moses only had 70 for 3 million people. 40? And they're all white. Yes, amen, right? Yeah. How many of you say that doesn't actually reflect our world? It does not but somebody won't say it. When you get say it, you get crucified, you know, that's the way it goes. We want racial harmony, but the churches still say segregated. It's, it's a crazy thing, you know. I never wanted to go in the ministry. I, I thought working for a drug cartel was safer I, I, uh, <laughs> or being in a rock and roll business. At least it was honest. It's crooked, but at least it was honest, crooked. So no matter who you are or what you've done, God loves you. 
He wants you to come to Him. He wants to shower His grace on you. He wants to celebrate when you come to Him. Romans 4, verse 16. The promise is not only to the people who live under the law of Moses, it's available to anybody who lives with faith like Abraham. So who's Paul talking about, these people that live under the law of Moses? He was referring to the Jewish people. God's grace is not only available to them now, it's available to Gentiles as well. Anybody, everybody who has faith in Jesus, that's called good news. Everybody could come in. Everybody was welcome. Everybody. You know, remember when we were kids, we used to have tag, and then at the end, when it was safe, you'd say, Ali, Ali, in free. Well, that's what this church ought to be. Ali, Ali, in free. Everybody can come. Everybody's welcome. Yeah, well, I got problems. Well, welcome. Come on. Uh, I climb a strip pole at a men's club. Yeah, well, you need help. Come on. Come on. You're welcome. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm having an affair, and I can't seem to break it. And not, well, come on in. This is, this is an emergency room. People that are bleeding, people that are hurting, come to an emergency room. You don't say clean up and then come. You just come. Throw your nasty self on the grace of God. Romans 10, verse 13, everyone who's good-looking and calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No. Everybody who shops at uh, Nordstrom's. No. It says everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, even ugly people, dumb people. Smart people, rich people, poor people. It means everybody, and that means you, and that means me. See, the grace of God isn't based on your performance. Whether this is your first visit, uh, or your first Saturday or Sunday, or you come every one, God's grace is based on God's grace. Well, it just sounds too good to be true. It does sound too good to be true, but it's true. So take it. Why did Jesus tell us to go preach the good news? If it wasn't good news, if you're in a ditch and you're unable to save yourself, help yourself, or change yourself, you'd think that's good news. So guess who rallied around Jesus? All the bad people nobody wanted. They said, that's the greatest news I ever heard in my life. They flocked to Him. Guess who flocks to church? The nice people. Well, at least they think they're nice. They're nice. But the Bible says you're wretched, poor, naked, and blind. You know, if we saw ourselves the way we really are. As my little six-year-old will say to me sometimes, it's disgusting. (laughs) Disgusting. I love that word. Number four, the C in grace. It comes through Christ, and that's the only place it's available. It comes through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Acts 15, 12, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. So why does grace only come through Christ? Because He's the only one who was qualified and willing to pay the debt of sin. The wages of sin is death. So you also had to be sinless. So he was willing to become sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Plus he was willing to die in my place, substitute, so I don't have to die. So never say God's judging me. Nonsense. He judged you in Christ. Back 2,000 years ago, when I accept Jesus, He places me in Christ. So when Christ died, I died. When He he was uh, raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. When the Father judged Him, I got judged. And when the Father received Him as the Son of God, I become a Son of God. So God imputes to me everything Jesus was and did legally when I accept Him. So I'll never be judged for my life ever. It's already been judged. 
It's done. Now, I can make a stupid choice and have some bad consequences, right? Yeah. But you're not being judged. You drive under the influence and run off of the road, which was stupid decision, driving drunk or buzzed, and you hit a tree and you kill or injure yourself, that's God's not judging you. Your own stupidity judged you. You've already been judged in Christ. You made a foolish choice, and now you're reaping the con. You reap what you sow. That's just normal. You mean to your wife, you're going to be in divorce court. You know, you, you, if you've got a bad attitude and a smart mouth, you're probably not going to be able to hold a job if you're lazy. God judging him. No, he's not judging him. He doesn't need any judgment. He's stupid. He's reaping the consequences of bad choices. That's all. That's all. Okay. That's just somehow never preached correctly. I've already been once for all judged. Now I'm accepted in the Beloved. So I want a good marriage, I want a good life, I want to be in health, I want to prosper, I want to have good relationships, I want our church to do well. So God gives me keys through the book of Proverbs and through God's Word about how to build that, how to put a little bit of heaven on earth, but it's not to get to heaven. You know, I tithe and I give, but it's not to get to heaven, it's to get a little bit of heaven's prosperity into earth. You know, I have to die to myself daily, I'm married, more than I want to, but I do. But if you're going to stay married 42 years, you better, you better learn how to dwell with each other according to knowledge and some wisdom. But it's not to get to heaven. It's to get a little bit of heaven in your marriage, in your life, right? Does that make sense? You want to work hard, be honest, have ethics so you can be promoted, so you can increase your influence, so, so you can do better in your life, but it's not to get to heaven. So none of the things that we do in performance are ever to get to heaven. That's already been done by Jesus. Is so that I can enjoy His benefits and blessing on earth until I go to heaven. Simple. To me, simple. I don't get it. So He paid for it. Nobody else has ever volunteered to pay for your sins, and nobody else is qualified. Not one. No one else has even offered to live a sinless life and then die for you. Only one, and that's Jesus. Every other religion requires you to perform. You got to get down, you got to have your rug, you got to play so many times this way, so many times a day, or you have to separate all your food in tinfoil, and you have to do so many uh, prayers and quotations. I've sat on airplanes and watched it all uh, everywhere. You got to pray three times this way, or four times this way, or you can't wear this, or you wear this, and you touch that, and you can't drink that, and you can't eat that. Read Colossians, taste not, touch not. Not. And Paul goes through it and he says, you're nuts. It isn't helping you at all as being righteous. Might be healthy. Our seven-day Adventist friends, and I say friends, are, are, are under the law of food laws. And yet the great apostle Paul writes to them in 1 Peter, uh, uh, chapter 4, 2 Peter 4, I think it is. I forget, 1 Peter 4, one of those addresses. He says, he says, it's a doctrine of demons. You, you, celibacy, not unless you just don't want to marry somebody, but he says celibacy, forbidding to marry, food laws, dietary laws, forbidding to eat meats, certain things, which under the law you couldn't eat. He says, it's a doctrine of demons, and yet churches promote it, promote it. God says you can eat a dead roach with chocolate if you want. You, you can eat any, it, you're not, it might not be healthy, it might be good, but it's not going to affect your righteousness. You can eat pork, 
pork too much will clog your arteries. You might die a few years early. You don't die unrighteous. You just died early because you ate too much pork. You violated a health law, but not a righteous law. So I'm quoting clear scripture. How do you mess that up? Yeah, well, I just don't believe. Well, I, but the problem is you don't read so you can believe right. Read God's Word and do what He says, and you're going to have a great life. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if I don't eat something, it isn't because God might be mad at me. It's because now I want to keep living. You know what I want people to say at my funeral? Look, he's moving. That's what I want to say. Some of you are going to some of you could live longer, but you're going to make some bad choices. But you won't die unrighteous. You just die because you're unhealthy. Okay. Now you're… Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Somebody had to pay for it. It cost Christ His perfect, sinless life. That's how expensive your trip to heaven was. He paid with His life, so I wouldn't have to pay. I couldn't pay anyway. It cost God His only begotten Son. So grace is free, but it's not cheap. Somebody had to pay for it. The gift of a car that I received wasn't. It was free, but it wasn't cheap. It cost somebody a lot of money. But to me, it was free. But I certainly take care of it because I appreciate the debt paid for me. So I want to honor Jesus the best I can. I'm sure I fail many times, but I want to because of the tremendous price He paid for my life. Yeah, I owe him a great debt. I can't work for anything, but I want to honor him the best I can. So, if I purchase a gift for you, it's free to you, but it costs me something. Those 1,600 gifts out there didn't cost those kids a dime, but it costs you and I together, you know, tens and tens of thousands of dollars. But what a joy. Romans 5, verse 15, many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus. Here's a phrase that often describes someone who's accepted Jesus in the Bible. It's called being in Christ. It occurs over 120 times in the New Testament. So when the Father sees me as a believer, He sees me in Christ. He does not see my sin, my imperfection, or my messed up life. All He can see when I'm in Christ is Christ. And that's the way He looks at you 24 hours a day. See, Jesus said, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So there was an exchange. He gives me His robe of righteousness. He took off, He took on Himself my unrighteousness. So there's been an exchange. So all Father can see me is like Jesus, perfect. I know it's hard for some of you to believe, but that's the way God sees you. But it's been done for you by Christ. That's why if you're a believer in Christ and you've accepted the grace of God, He is never, ever mad at you. The Bible says He poured His wrath upon Christ and was fully satisfied. So I hear people all the time, God going to judge America. God, God's judged the whole world at the cross. Already got every bit of anger and wrath and put it on His Son. So while you're alive today, we're under a dispensation of grace. All God wants you to do is come to Him. He's not mad at you anymore. You can come home. And that's all he's saying to people. But a lot of people still think he's mad, and a lot of preachers want to keep it that way. But he's not mad at you. He's, he got completely satisfied. He beat his son with the judgment you and I would have to have by forsaking his son 
And so he'll never forsake me. He'll never leave me. And that's a clear scripture. Nice. So God's never mad. All God the Father can see is that Christ paid the debt for all those imperfections, sins, and failure in your life. God never judges a Christian. He chastises a Christian. If my daughter throws a baseball through your windshield, it might cost me $300 for the judgment. It's going to cost her a whipping, <laughs> but not judgment. I'm going to chastise her. Whom the Lord loves, He chastises, because you're a son of God. That's, that's not judgment. Judgment for us would be hell. So you're never judged. Chastised? Yeah, often. That's a, if you've been chastised, that's a good sign you belong to Jesus, whom the Lord loves. If you are without chastisement, you are illegitimate, God says. Anybody had a whipping? <laughs> that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Uh, so, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, he paid that judgment. So when you blow it, you don't have to say, oh, God, I know you're ticked at me today. Never happens. If you've accepted the grace of God, you should be saying, God, thank you. Your grace forgives me for my failure. I need your grace to change so I can live without repeating this again. And that comes through Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus has the power of God. His power has given us everything we need to live and to serve God. And we have these things not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, not because we're good enough, not because we're worth it, but because we know Him. So the only way to get, uh, to get the grace of God is through Jesus Christ. Invite Him into your life. One definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. The one who paid for the gift gets to give the gift, and all I can do is receive it. So there's nothing you and I can ever do to make God love me more than He loves me right now. If Christ loved me while I was a yet a sinner and died for me, how can He love me less now that I'm a believer? He on a bad day, He can't love me less if He loved me totally while I was in sin. Now I'm a believer in Christ. Some of you think, well, He just doesn't like me now. That's not possible. It's illogical to even think that. And so, because His love is not based on your performance, it's based on His promise of grace. Not on your merit, but on His mercy. Not your goodness, but on His grace. So if you ever grasp that, I reckon it'll change your life. You won't be running from God all the time worrying about what He thinks, but you'll run to Him every time you fail. You'll run to somebody who wants to help you, to love you, and change you. It's, you know, there's no therapy in the world. There's no pill in the world. There's no seminar that can make the changes in your life that are necessary and in mine. Only the grace of God can do it. So God wants to take the things you're most ashamed of, forgive them, wash them away, and give you a fresh start. Life doesn't have to be the same anymore. See, grace can make you a new person, give you a new heart give you a new relationship with the Lord, and you won't have to work for it or earn it or deserve it. It's just a gift. Here's the last one, number five, E. Grace is extended through eternity. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift that lasts forever. You could say it's a gift that just keeps on giving because it's eternal. God promises eternity to them who accept His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. I, I, how long is eternal? Thank you. Don't have to have a rocket science IQ. Eternal. If you've been born again, how do you get unborn again? 
You can't get unborn physically. You can't crawl back up in your mama's womb. Jesus said that, and John to Nicodemus, you, no, you've been born again. You've been born again. You're, you're in the family of God. You can be disappointing, but you're still in the family. And the point is, if God gives me eternal life, then how can I lose eternal life? Let's call it temporal life then, instead of eternal. No, it's eternal. It lasts forever because you didn't have it. If you didn't have anything to do, your works to get saved, how can any work unsave me? Well, Rick, I never thought about that. I know you went to a church that never had a thought. It'd be beginner's luck. So we're trying to help you to think about what you say you think you believe because Paul reasoned with people to get them to think about do you really understand what God's up to? It's not complicated. Most of these people never went to school, didn't have a professional education, were unlearned and ignorant, and they changed the world. This can't be that difficult. It just can't. You'd have to come to church to make Christianity difficult. Help me, somebody. It's true. My gosh, it's true. Well, I've heard people say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, if you don't believe this about eschatology, if you're wrong on the rapture, you can't go to heaven. Nonsense. None of that has anything to do with my being justified, forgiven, or redeemed. The blood of Jesus cleanses of all sin, period. I can be wrong on a whole bunch of stuff, but it's got nothing to do with me going to heaven. Jesus paid it all. What's heaven going to be like, Rick? Well, the Bible says we'll be reunited with loved ones. We'll know as we are known. We'll know friends that we knew. It says we'll be rewarded for our faith. It says we'll receive some assignment of work you'll love to do. You're going to be released from pain, depression, shame, sorrow, and guilt. There'll be no more tears, and we'll rejoice for eternity. Pretty good deal. The catch is you have to receive it. A gift is worthless unless you receive it. There are three elements to a gift, purchase, offer, and it's either received or rejected. Simple. Peter Drucker was a brilliant business guru and the father of American management. He wrote his first book 50 years ago. His books have been studied in every business school and university around the world. When he was asked, how did you finally become a Christian? How did you accept Christ? He said, quote, when I finally understood grace, I realized I was never going to get a better deal than that. That's a good businessman that understood that's like a drum with a hole in it. You can't beat it. It's good news. Isaiah 30, verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Can you believe that? He's longing to be gracious to you. He wants you to accept His gift. He enjoys being gracious to you. He's not mad at you. Maybe you're afraid of his rejection. Maybe you were rejected by parents, boyfriend, girlfriend, a former husband or wife walked out on you. But there's one person who says he will never reject you, he will never leave you or forsake you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he invites you to come to him, and you can walk out of here today with a clean and a clear conscience and the promise of eternal life. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.